helped me to be a help to you, and I'm just, uh, I'm thankful to know the Lord, aren't you? And I'm glad that I'm part of the family of God, and I'm able to love the Lord, and able to love his people, and, and the Pattisons, I don't know where the Pattisons, where did they go to? There he is, and uh, we've, we supported the Pattisons when they were over in, in the Philippines, and, uh, and uh, the Philippines is a wonderful place. How many, any of you ever been to the Philippines? few of us have. It is a wonderful place. I preached the longest sermon I ever preached in my life in the Philippines. I was preaching at the Heritage Baptist Bible College in chapel. On a Monday night, I preached an hour and 45 minutes. It, I had not preached that long since I was a kid. And, uh, but I'm telling you, there are about 400 Bible college students there. And uh, your freshman and sophomore year, you, you lay on the floor on a straw mat. Your junior year, you finally get a bunk. And uh, I'm telling you, those kids pulled the preach out of me. I'm telling you, I just preached on. It reminded me back when I was, I, when, when I first started preaching, I couldn't drive. Well, I could, but I wasn't supposed to legally. Um, I wasn't old enough to have a license. And uh, so my daddy would have to drive me to where I preached. And I remember one night, he'd never done this before. One night I was preaching, I went to this. I, I actually, it's kind of funny now thinking about it. I was, um, I was candidating for a revival meeting. I didn't know you did that. But anyway, I knew I did. I knew when I went that night, they were considering having me for a revival meeting. I was 15 years old, and uh, they asked me to come preach to the teenagers. And uh, I was with the teenagers beforehand. We ate uh, together, and they were talking about some things I didn't think anybody ought to be involved in, especially somebody who knew Jesus. And so uh, that just fired me up, son. I'm telling you. Here I was, a 15-year-old boy preaching to a bunch of teenagers. And I mean, I, I, just, I just preached on for a while. I knew I'd been preaching a while. I remember what I preached. I preached Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And, and my daddy was sitting back on about the sixth row. And, uh, and all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, somewhere in the message, he held out 10 fingers like that, Brother Pope. And I thought, oh, my daddy thinks in 10 minutes I need to be quiet. Well, I'm 15 years old. I'm still, yes, sir, you know, and uh, I was till he went to heaven two and a half years ago. But anyway, I, you know, I, so I thought, man, about 10 minutes, I'm going to bring this thing in for a landing. And, uh, and so we, service gets over, invitation's over, and we get in the car. My daddy's driving me back home. Uh, we're about 35 miles from home. And, and, uh, and I said, daddy, I said, uh, did that mean 10 minutes shut up? He said, son, that meant it was 10 o'clock and you've been going an hour and 50 minutes. I figure they wasn't going to have you back for revival. But I went back and preached my first revival. Amen. And uh, they didn't know any better probably. And, uh, but anyway, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for the privilege to preach the Bible. And I'm glad to preach it at the Calvary Baptist Church tonight. I want you to take your Bible and go into the book of the Revelation, if you will. Chapter number two. I hope you'll support uh, the Pattersons. Appreciate you taking them on for tonight. But I hope you'll pray for them. Uh, I honestly, and, and I'm not against, we support missionaries, American missionaries. We've sent American missionaries out of our church. I'm not against any of that. But I believe that the way you and I are going to reach the world is through national pastors who already know the culture, who already know the language, who already understand everything. And I'm just fully persuaded that that's the way it's supposed to happen. Uh, God's allowed us to plant six churches around the world. And uh, four of those churches are pastored by national pastors uh, one in Honduras, one in Venezuela, and two in the country of Moldova. And, uh, and I'm just very grateful that uh, God allowed us to partner with those men and help them. And one of those churches is fully self-supporting, has started uh, several other churches. One of them would be self-supporting, but uh, in Venezuela, you just know what the economy's happened since Maduro's been there. And so we still support him, but out of his church uh, has already gone 24 church planters, uh, many of them in Venezuela, but some of them, one of them's tonight in Portugal, one in Spain, two in Brazil, one in Colombia. And uh, I just believe that's the way it's supposed to get done, all right? You found Revelation chapter 2. If you're able to stand, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Revelation chapter number 2. If you'll look at verse number 1 with me, if you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, these words are all in red letters, which mean that it is Jesus himself who is speaking to us, and he'll identify himself here in verse number one, in just a moment, it says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake, hast labored and hast not fainted. 
And if you and I could close our Bible right there, we could go home tonight feeling really good. <laughs> but everything changes. With one word in verse 4. Nevertheless, Jesus is speaking. I have somewhat against thee. And I, I'm just telling you, my life verse is to know me is to love me, okay? I don't want anybody to have anything against me. But I promise you, I don't want Jesus to have anything against me. Amen. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Look at it. You're there with me. Would you read the rest of the verse with me out loud? You ready? Because thou hast left thy first love. Jesus continued, verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now verse 7, would you read out verse 7 out loud with me? You ready? He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, help us these few moments. We'll be together around the Bible. Our hearts to be open and our hearts to be receptive. But Lord, more than all that, help us to be responsive to you tonight. As your sweet spirit takes your word and uses it like a scaffold on our lives, may we be honest and open before you and may we deal with those things you deal with us about. May when we leave here, we leave here determined we're going to love you more fully and more fervently than we ever have. We ask all of it in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We're in the book of the Revelation. The book of Revelation, of course, is, uh, is a book that sometimes I believe the devil has tried to convince us that we really ought not to pay attention to. I think Pastor said a few moments ago he's preaching on biblical prophecy, so he spent some time probably or will spend some time in this wonderful book. But, but the truth is the book of the Revelation is a, is a marvelous book. It, it starts, look back at chapter 1, would you? Look at chapter 1. Would you read those first five words out loud together? We're in chapter 1. We're in verse 1. We're going to read five words. You ready? Here we go. The revelation of Jesus You know what my Bible says? You can't read it, but you'll trust me. The title of it is The Revelation of St. John the Divine. I don't know where they got that from. Revelation 1 1 says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what that word revelation means? It means the unveiling, the unmasking. When I was in grad school some years ago down at Pensacola Christian College, I was privileged to have Dr. Joel Mullinex as a professor who taught me the book of the Revelation. We were in that book five days, Monday through Friday, five hours a day. And Dr. Mullinex never had a note with him, he just had a Bible. About the third day, I said to him, we ate lunch with us. We were all mostly older men. I say older men. I was in the 30s. I thought I was old then. I am old now. And, uh, and so he, I, I said to him, I said, Doc, I said, you don't have any notes with you. He said, uh, Brother Raven, he said, I've been teaching Revelation on the undergrad level, I think like 40 years, and on the grad level, 25 years. And if I don't know the book by now, I really don't need to be teaching this course. Man, I'm telling you, I was blessed. Man, we got to the end of the week. And he said, you know what? We don't have time to take a final exam here in, in class. And I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> uh, he said, so what I'm going to do is tonight you go back to your room. And he said, I want you to give me Jesus like John's given him to you in the book of the Revelation. I had those little blue books we used to call them. They were about half page size. And they had 40 pages front and back that you could write out an essay in in college back in those days. And so I wrote out two of those. I wrote 80 pages on how I had seen Jesus in the book of the Revelation. It was one of the most blessed times I've ever had in a, in a class. And, and, and this book's a wonderful book. It's a book that outlines itself. You're there in chapter one. Would you look down at verse number 19? 
It says, write the things which thou hast seen. That's chapter one, the vision of the living Jesus. And then number two, he said, write the things which are. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. That's chapters two and three in seven literal local New Testament churches. And then he said, write the things which shall be hereafter. Those things begin in chapter four and verse number one, when John heard a voice out of heaven saying, come up hither, which I believe is foretelling the rapture of the, of the church. And I believe that the rapture could happen tonight. Now, I'm, I'm planning on going back to Raleigh, but I just soon go to heaven. <laughs> and uh, that, would, that don't scare me. That don't frighten me. That don't make me angry. That don't make me mad. It don't make me sad. It makes me glad to know that Jesus is soon coming again. <laughs> no wonder you get to the end of the book and you know what John says. Even so come Lord Jesus. <laughs> Man, he'd see it up close and personal, hadn't he? Huh? Now where we're at is in chapter two tonight. Chapter two, Jesus begins to speak to seven literal local New Testament churches. He would speak to the church at Ephesus, the church of Smyrna, the church at Pergamos, the church at Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, and the church at Laodicea. And to each of those churches, Jesus had a message. He had something that he wanted them to know. Well, before you ever get to the prophecy, before you ever get to the, to the end of time, Jesus said to these seven literal local New Testament churches, I got a message for you. Now, there's a lot of ways you can look at these churches. You can look at them, and I think it's right to look at them in a practical format. They are literal local churches. As a matter of fact, the church that we're going to examine tonight is the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus holds a unique place in the New Testament. It is the only church in the New Testament that received two epistles from two different human penmen. Corinth got two letters, but they both came from the pen of the Apostle Paul under inspiration of God's Spirit. Thessalonica got two letters, but they both came from Paul. Ephesus got one from the Apostle Paul, one from the pen of John. And as a matter of fact, if you really want to get serious about it, they really got four letters because their pastor, Timothy, got two more letters from Paul. So you're talking about a church that was near and dear to the heart of God. You're talking about the church at Ephesus. So you think of them practically. I believe you can look at them prophetically. I believe you can take the churches from Ephesus to Laodicea and lay them over the church age that you and I are now living in and you will see the church from the days of the apostles to the days of the apostasy. But, but, but the best way I think for us to look at them is this way, personally. Because you know what a church is? A church is a fellowship of baptized believers who come around common doctrine for the common purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what a New Testament church is. A fellowship of baptized believers who come together around common doctrine for the common purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. A, a church is, is, is not, it's not, the, not the chair you're sitting on. It's not that piano. It's not that pulpit. It's not the nursery. Back. You, you say, we have a beautiful church. You do. It's you. I know, we use term and we do too. We do. You, some people ask you, where's Beacon Baptist Church? 2110 Trawick Road. Well, the truth is, we're only at 2110 Trawick Road at certain times of the week. The building's there all the time. Okay? Calvary Baptist Church is located on, I can't remember the name of the road now. I lost it. Give it to me. Indian Hill. I knew it was, I knew it was some hill. I couldn't think of what it was. It, it, it would have been better if it would have been Golgotha Hill Road. But anyway, that's all right. Let's don't, let's don't, let's don't get mad with the, with the, with the uh, road assigners, all right? But, but it, 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 it meets at Indian Hill, but you're the church. Church is people. That's all church is. And, and, and tonight, for a few moments, I, I want you to ask God to help you to examine yourself in the light of the letter to the Ephesian church. I want you to see this letter together with me. This, this letter ha has three parts. Of course, it starts off with what most of us would do in a letter. We would write, dear John, dear Jane, dear Sue, dear Jack. 
And, and, and that's what Jesus does. He's there in verse one. He says unto the angel. Now, who in the world is the angel? You say, oh, that's my wife, pastor. <laughs> you heard about the fellow said, uh, he said, oh, he said, how are you doing? He said, oh, since I married you, I married an angel. He said, you married an angel? He said, oh, yeah. Says so she's always up in the air harping about something. And um, <laughs> I got to ride back with Sharon. I better be careful. Here up. Who's the angel? Well, you want to know who the angel is? Just ask the Bible. You know the best interpretation of the Bible is the Bible? You're in chapter 2 and verse 1. Just look back up at chapter 1 and verse 20. It says in chapter 1 and verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, the seven golden candlesticks. He said, here they are. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That word angels means messenger. I believe that this letter is directed to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And Jesus then identifies himself. He doesn't wait to the end of the letter and sign his name. He puts it right up here at the front. He said, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars. That's those angels, you remember? And walketh in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. We didn't read it, but the rest of verse 20 in chapter 1 says, the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus said, I'm the one who holds the pastors in my right hand, and I walk in the midst of my church. Now, I like going to church for a lot of reasons. I like to sing. I can't sing. Bless these people right here who had to sit near me while I was attempting to sing, okay? But I like to sing. I I enjoy fellowshipping with other Christians. I'm not mad about being saved. I'm not angry at you because you're saved too. And, uh, And I enjoy fellowship with other people. But, but the real reason I like to come to church is I like to meet the Lord in a corporate way. Amen. I'm, I'm telling you, now, I, I meet the Lord every morning. Every morning I open his word. Every morning I spend some time praying. Every morning I, I sing a hymn to the Lord. I, I do that every morning of my life, basically. But listen to me. There's something about going to church where Jesus is at. There's something about being in church where the Lord shows up. You know, I, I, I just like, I like going to church. And Jesus said, I'm the one that holds the seven stars in my right hand. I walk in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. Now, what did he have to say? Let's keep moving here. What did he have to say? Three parts of the letter. Number one, we see our Lord's commendation. He, he speaks of those things that he is so thankful for. Look, look at them with me. Verse number two, I know. Stop right there. Look right here. He knows. We're not reading the words of a person who thinks he knows. We're reading the words of a person who knows. Listen to me. You may fool Pastor Pope. You may fool your husband and your wife. You may fool your mom or your dad. You may fool your sons or daughters. But I'm telling you what, you never fool Jesus. He knows what nobody else in this room knows. Because the thing about Jesus is he looks past the external and he sees down on the internal and he knows all about the eternal. Yes, sir. He says, I know. What did he say I know? Look at it. Thy works. You, you, you know what Jesus commended about this church? He started off by commending their devotion. He said, you are a hardworking bunch of people. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just call it works. Look at that next phrase. Thy labor. Someone, someone has said that, that the works is their service, the labor is their sacrifice. I, I believe if you and I had walked in to the, to the service at the Calvary Baptist Church at Ephesus, we'd have found a hustling, bustling crowd. They'd have been busy. They'd been going here and yon. They'd have had everything from a music program to a missions program. I mean, you name it, they had it going on. I I think if any of us had lived in that day, in that hour, in that place, we'd have said, man, that's where I want to be a member at. (laughs) Jesus said, I commend you for your devotion, your works, your labor. He, He says, I commend you for your determination. Look at what he says there in the next phrase in verse number two. Thy patience. That word patience means steadfastness, endurance. As a matter of fact, he doesn't just mention it in verse two. He mentions it again in verse three. Look at it. And hast borne. That is, you've, you've borne up in the weight of the persecution and the suffering and the sacrifice. And you hast patience. And then he goes, closes out that verse, hast not fainted. He said, listen to me, 
Ephesus, I applaud you for your devotion. I applaud you for your determination. You haven't quit. You haven't given up. You haven't given out. You haven't given in. Boy, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of people giving up, giving out, and giving in today. <laughs> That's not what crowd I want to be a part of, Brother Pope. He says, I commend you. I, I commend you for your devotion. I, I commend you for your determination. Look at what else he said. He said, how, go back to verse two, I'm sorry. How thou cannot bear them which are evil. He said, he said, no, I, I, I applaud and I commend your, your devotion, your determination. I, I commend your discernment. He said, when sin creeps into your fellowship, you, you, you deal with that sin. You deal with it. You, you understand what's right and what's wrong. I'm telling you, we, we live in such a confused world. People are calling wrong, right, right, wrong. I mean, they're calling black, white, white, black. They're calling up, down, down, up. I'm telling you that there are some things that according to the Bible are absolutely right and there are some things according to the Bible that are absolutely wrong. If you'd have to, I'm six, I turned 64 last month. If you'd have told me when I was 24 that there'd be a day before I die that people would think there were 78 genders, I'd have said, huh? I can't, I can't understand that. I can't comprehend that. But there's such, there's such confusion. But, but not the church in Ephesus. They were discerning. Not only were they discerning about evil or wrong conduct and practice, they, they were concerned. They were discerning about evil doctrine. Look, look at what he says in the end of verse 2. Thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Hey, listen to me. In that day, there were people coming into church and saying, you know, I'm an apostle. <laughs> Here we are, almost 2,000 years later. They're still coming around. I hear them every once in a while on the radio, apostle somebody. I'm thinking, man, he's old. If he saw the risen Jesus, I'm telling you, he's a couple thousand years old. I, we ought to have him over to church just for people to shake his hand, you know. So he said, you, these people are saying there's something they're not. You, you, you know it. As a matter of fact, look at what he says down in verse 6. He says, this thou hast, thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Who are the Nicolaitans? Well, it's a combination word. Nico means to rule. Laetans means laity. It was a sect in that day that were ruling over the laity. I'll tell you what, who I believe they are, okay? And if you don't agree with this, it's okay. I believe they were the precursor to the Roman Catholic Church. That tells people, we'll interpret the Bible for you. Now, you listen to me, and you listen to me really well. The Bible says of itself that no scripture is given to any private interpretation. When you hear somebody, and, and I've, heard, I've heard good men. I'm not, I'm not on, a, on, a, on a soapbox, but I've heard good men say, I want to share a new truth with you. No, 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 no. There is no tr new truth. They may have a new understanding of an old truth. I can I admit that. I've come to better understanding of much in the Bible. But, but there's no new truth. You don't need anybody to interpret the Bible for you. you. You need somebody to explain the Bible to you. You need somebody to teach you the Bible. You need somebody to preach the Bible to you. You need somebody to help you understand the application of the Bible. But, but the reality is, if you're saved tonight, the Holy Ghost of God lives in you, and he who inspired the book will help you to understand the book. So these Nicolaitans, they were ruling over the laity. They were saying, now you listen to us and we'll tell you. No, no, no. I remember some years ago, I'd have to go back and look at notes, but I think about 20 years ago, I was preaching through the book of the Revelation and I got over to chapter 17 of the book of the Revelation and I think that the mother of harlots is the Roman Catholic Church sitting on seven hills, okay? Now that's just my interpretation, all right? So I said that and I said that the Pope is the vicar of hell, okay? And, and understand, I'm, 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 just, I'm just preaching, all right? And, and so I'm preaching. And, 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 and Monday morning, this, this couple calls and wants to know if they can come meet with me. And, and, and Brother Pope, I was just a, 
If that's 20 years ago, I was 44 years old, okay? So, so I'm sitting there at my desk, and this couple comes in, and they want to talk to me. And she begins to talk, which is automatically a, a warning sign. <clears throat> automatically. And she says, Pastor, we want to talk to you about what you said yesterday. I said, okay. Well, listen, on a Sunday, a pastor says thousands of words, Okay. So you got to get a little more specific than what you talked about yesterday, okay? So I said, okay, what, what about yesterday you want to talk? She said, you made a statement that the Holy See, which that was another warning sign at that point. That was a warning sign. The Holy See is the vicar of hell. I said, are you talking about the Pope? Yep, not, not him. Not the Pope, <laughs> the, uh, the, not the Baptist Pope, the Catholic Pope. And, 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 sorry, I didn't think about this illustration when I started telling it. <laughs> Just in case. All right, but anyway. So I said, uh, yes, ma'am. That's what I said. She said, you probably do not understand what the word vicar means. I said, I think it means the chief official of. She said, that's pretty close. She said, but certainly you do not believe that the Holy Father is the chief official of hell. And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, now, Pastor, you, you can recant that. And if you recant that, we're going to stay here and keep coming to your church. They weren't members. They'd just been attending a little while. We're going to keep coming to your church. But if you don't recant that, we're never coming back. <laughs> I almost told them what my granddaddy used to say when I was a little boy. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. But I didn't say that <laughs> because she was a lady. <laughs> now, listen to me. Listen to me. There ain't nobody got a right to tell you what the Bible means that the Holy Spirit won't convince you in your own heart of that. So it's commendation. I want you to see the second part of the letter. The second part of the letter is condemnation. Wow. After Jesus has applauded their devotion, their determination, their discernment, He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast left thy first love. What's first love? I want to suggest you a twofold definition of first love. Number one, I believe first love is fervent love. You, 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 remember, you, you remember if you're married tonight, you, you remember when you first got married? Some of those couples, I think it was 37 years, 15 over here, I think. It may have been one more, 29 right here, I think it was. Hey, you, 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 remember, you remember, Sharon and I just celebrated 44 years of marriage a few weeks ago. Hey, and, and, uh, and she was just two when we got married, in case you're trying to figure it out. And, and, and so... We're from Alabama. You marry young. I mean, you know. <laughs> and so, so you remember when you first got, you remember that fiery love? Sharon and I got married between my sophomore and junior year of college. So I took her from Alabama to Nashville, Tennessee, where I was attending college. And, 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 and I put her in the town. I mean, where she grew up, she didn't even grow up in the community of Echo. It, it didn't have a flashing light. She grew up three and a half miles down the road. And they got the daily paper from the town that I lived in. They got it the next day in the mail. So they didn't, you know, when I first told my kids that, they said, Daddy, you're making that up. I said, you ask your grandma and granddaddy if they didn't get the paper in the mail. They got Tuesday's paper on Wednesday. So I took her to Nashville. She worked and put me through college. I worked a part-time job. She worked a full-time job. I'd come home. I'd get off work every night at 7.30. I worked from 1.30 to 7.30, except for Wednesday night. I got off at 6.30, so I'd go to prayer meeting. And, and I'm going to tell you, all the way home, you know what I was thinking about? I can't wait to see her again. Whoo! She's going to be right there in the house when I get there. Glory to God. And uh, I mean, I just get, I get pumped up, man. She's going, and, and then I'd walk in, and you know what I'd do? I'd kiss her. Matter of fact, one of the reasons I married her was because when I started liking her, I found out she played first seat, first section trumpet in the marching band. So I figured anybody that plays a trumpet had a good set of lips. 
You think I'm joking. That's... <laughs> you know what? It, that first love, it's fiery love. Fiery love. You, you remember when you first came to know Jesus? Particularly if you're a little older. I came to know Christ as a 10-year-old boy. But particularly if you're a little older. You, you remember all, the, all the, the abrupt, sudden changes in your life? And that fiery love, that, 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 that fiery, fervent love that, that you, you just, you, 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 could, you couldn't wait to get to the awesome August service. I mean, you was excited when they passed the plate. You said, glory to God, I'm going to get to give some more. Hallelujah. Amen. That's first love. I'll show you what else I believe first love is. Leave a Bible marker in Revelation 2. I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, would you please? Matthew's Gospel, and go to chapter 22 with me. First love is fiery love. First love is fervent love. But I want you to see one other thing. You're in Matthew 22. Look at verse number 35. The lawyer, which is not a, not a person in court as our day, but an expert in the Old Testament law, asked Jesus this question, Master, which is the great commandment of the law? Jesus said to him, verse 37, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. You know, you know what first love is? It's not just fiery, fervent love. It's full love. It's loving Jesus with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. It's loving him completely. And, and I'm, not, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm, I, I know this. If that's the first commandment, then the first and greatest sin in our lives is when we don't love Jesus fully and completely. And if you go back to the Revelation, go there to chapter 2 again, I want you to see it. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast, give me that next word, because thou hast left. left. I've heard people read that. You'd think they were reading the lost. You don't lose your first love. You leave it. You lay it down somewhere. It, it may be when the Bible doesn't become a real book to you anymore and you just... Read it to read it. It may be when prayer just becomes a casual conversation. It may be when church just becomes something you got to do tonight because if you don't do it, somebody's going to say something about you because you didn't come to the awesome August service. People don't lose first love. People leave first love. I, I, I guarantee you, as long as your pastor's been in the ministry, he's had this happen more one time. I, I, I realized finally, Brother Pope, that, that, that the devil is the one who writes the script and the people are the one who acts it out because I've heard him say this so many times in, in marital counseling and Sharon and I do our marital counseling together, but I've heard him say so many times, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore. And, and I, I've never done it. Sharon has a couple of times, but I had not Sharon's a whoo. She's full speed ahead when it comes to marriage counseling. I remember one guy, he, he needed it. He needed, a, he, needed a, he needed a knot jerked in his head, okay? And so finally, Sharon took all she could. She just, we sit around this little table, and she come right across on him. And she started, and he looked at me. He said, Pastor, are you going to get her to sit down? I said, no, I think you need to hear everything she's saying right now. <laughs> listen, listen to me. You, the truth is, you didn't quit loving or you didn't stop loving, you quit loving your mate. And you fell in love with something else or someone else. That, and that's the way it is with Jesus. You, you and I don't lose it. We leave it. We lay it down. So, so we see the Lord's commendation. We see the Lord's condemnation. Aren't you glad that Jesus never diagnoses a problem and doesn't give us a prescription? Because <laughs> I want you to see the third part of the letter and we'll be through. Our Lord's correction. 
Look, look what he said. Here's how, to, here's how to correct leaving your first love. Number one, look at it. Verse five, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. He said, I want you to stop and remember and reflect where you laid it down. Was it your quiet time with God? Now it's haphazard, but every day you used to meet with the Lord. Was it, was it your tithing? And now you say, you know, they got lots of money over at the church. They'll never miss mine. What, what was it? Was it the Thursday night or Wednesday night service? Or was it the Sunday night service? Or was it, what, where was it? There, there's somewhere you laid down your first love. And Jesus said, if you're going to correct the problem, you got to remember where it was. You know what the Holy Ghost is doing right now? If you're saved and you've left yours, he's helping you remember. He's helping you remember. 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 Then what does he say next of all there in verse five? Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and what's that next word? Repent. All right, here we go, all right? Let's, let's, just, let's just make this, this little plant right here. That, that's the place you or I or both of us lay down our first love, okay? So here we are. We've left our first love. And listen to me. When you leave your first love, and I, I don't have time to preach this, all this thought, but when you leave your first love, you get further and further away from it. We are prone to think, well, I'm going to leave it right there and I'm just going to stand right here. No, that's not the tendency of the flesh. Remember, you're over here. I don't know where you're at. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, remember. You begin to remember. What does he say next? Repent. You know what the word repent means? It means make an about face. It's a military term. He says, repent. Go back to that place. Go back to that place. And then what does he say? And do the, what's that phrase? First works. What are first works? First works are works done out of first love. Remember? Repent. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad for that? Amen. I've cast myself on that verse thousands of times. And then redo. Do the first works. You, you, you really, probably, basically, most of us are doing the same things. But you know what you're doing it now? You're doing it now out of, a, out of an overflow of first love. Instead of doing it just because you go do it. You're doing it because you love Jesus. You're doing it because you want to be close to the Lord. You're doing it because you want to please him. You're doing it because you want to honor him. You're doing it because you want to glorify him. You're doing it because you want to magnify him. You're doing it all for him like the lady sang a few moments ago. It's all for him. It's not so anybody sees you doing it. So he knows you're doing it. I understand Charles Spurgeon once said, he said, I want to look up to heaven and say, dear Jesus, I love you. And he said, I want Jesus to look down and say, I know it, Charles. <laughs> when you tell the Lord you love him, does he say, I know it? I know it. But I want you to miss this. Please don't miss it. He doesn't stop there in verse five. He says, or else... Do you understand that if you and I don't listen to God, we leave him no alternative but or else? Because this is sure as there commendation and condemnation and correction. There are consequences if we don't listen to God or else. Look at it. I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place. What's the candlestick? Chapter 1, verse 20, it's the church. 
Now, I know that nobody who's sitting here tonight, Calvary Baptist Church on Indian Hill Road in Union Grove, North Carolina, is thinking it could ever happen. But I guarantee you, this countryside is filled with places that look like this, used to be like this. And if they meet there, they might meet on a Sunday morning. And nobody's been saved. Nobody's got right with God. Nobody's been ordained like those two boys are going to be ordained, young men, going to be ordained Sunday in a long, long time. You know why? Or else. Or else. Some years ago, I read the testimony of Henry Grady. Grady became famous in the post-Civil War United States because he made a speech by the name of the New South. If you ever fly through Atlanta Airport, I think it's between Concourse B and Concourse C, there's an Atlanta history hallway, and there's all kinds of stuff about, Henry, about Atlanta, and, and on the wall there's a picture of Henry Grady. Grady was the editor of the Atlanta Journal and Constitution. At that moment, it was the largest daily paper in the southeastern United States. Grady's own testimony was he knew the Lord as a young man. He came to know Christ, but he got caught up in his career. Told you he made that great speech that gave him fame. I won't know. I don't know that I agree with all that was in the speech, but he made the speech in the New South, and um, just became just uh, well known for what. If he'd have been in our day, he'd have been on everybody's Twitter feed and Facebook and. Instagram, and he probably had his own TikTok channel and YouTube and Vimeo and, you know. And he said one day he realized what was happening to him spiritually. And so Mr. Grady called all the heads of every department in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to his office, and he assigned out his duties and all their duties for a few days. He told them, I'm going to be gone. I don't know how long I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to be gone. And while I'm gone, I want everything to run just like I was here. So here's the responsibilities. He walked outside the Atlanta Journal Constitution, got on his horse and buggy, and rode it up to the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains in northeast Georgia. And when he got on the property of his old home place, his dad had already passed and gone to heaven, but out on the front porch, his mama was rocking in a rocking chair. Grady's testimony was that when his mama saw him, she said, well, Henry, you didn't say you was coming home. He said, Mama, I didn't have time to send a telegram to get to you to let you know I just, I, I just need to be here. She said, well, what's wrong, Henry? He said, Mama, I just need to be here. She said, well, okay. She said, did you have any supper? He said, no, ma'am. Only like a sweet Georgia mama could do. She went in there and wrestled him up a supper. They got through eating supper. Grady said to him, he said, Mama, I know that I'm a grown man. But he said, could we go out and sit on the front porch like we used to and sing them songs we used to sing? You read the Bible to me? Grady said, Mama said, well, sure, Henry, if that's what you want to do. Well, on the front porch, he said, I sat down there on the front steps. and My mama started singing Amazing Grace and Victory in Jesus. Or read the Bible to me like when I was a little boy. He said, it got bedtime. And Mama said, Henry, we better go to bed. And he said, yes, ma'am. He said, Mama, I know I'm a grown man. But would you mind going up with me to my bedroom and us praying there by the bed like we used to do when I was a little boy? She said, well, sure, Henry, if that's what you want to do. Henry said, his mama ascended those steps and in that bedroom and mama prayed with him turned off the lantern snuffed it out she went her way he said all night all night he lay there in the bed remembering how it used to be lay there all night praying out oh God Help me to love you again like I used to love you. So the next morning when he 
got up, he heard it, smelled it, breakfast cooking, you know, country ham, cathead biscuit, grits. So he went downstairs, and his mama said, well, Henry, boy, you don't look nothing like you looked when you got here yesterday. You looked awful, son. I didn't want to tell you. He said, Mama, I've been repenting all night. He got through eating breakfast. He said, Mama, that's all I needed. I'm going back to work. And Henry's greatest testimony was that from that day to the day he went to heaven, he kept that first love burning. You know, the first love can go out right here in church. It can go out in that pulpit. It can go out in your teaching position. It can go out in your, your singing place. It can go out in your ushering place. It can go out wherever you serve. You know, that first love, you're still doing all things. And I'm telling you, I'm sure if Jesus looks down tonight, and he does, and he sees you, there may be a lot of things he would commend about you. But there's nothing more serious than if he were to say, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Would you bow your heads with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. God's spoken our hearts from his word. Now it's time for us to deal with those things God's dealt with us about. You say, Brother Raven, God's dealing with my heart tonight. About this first love. Preacher, would you just pray with me and for me that you would just slip your hand up about shoulder high? God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You, you may be here this, this Thursday night and not know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've been to church a lot of times. Maybe you've never been before. But I tell you tonight, the Lord Jesus loves you, died for you on the cross, was buried and rose again so you could be born again. You say, I don't know the Lord Jesus as my Savior. Preacher, pray for me. Anybody like that before we pray? I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I'm just going to pray for you. Slip it up high enough I can see it. I'll acknowledge it. You pull it back down. Would this all stand? Would you please? Let's all stand. Father, you look down from heaven tonight. You see us. You know us. Lord, you know who we are. You know where we're at. Lord, you know if tonight that the embers are burning low. You know tonight that if the Love is waning so low. But I pray the fresh breath of the Spirit of God would breathe. Breathe on us, Lord. Help us to find places around this altar where we'd remember, we'd repent, leave here with a determination to redo. Oh, Lord, help us tonight. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, the altar's open. I invite you to leave your place, find your place of prayer. It's a Christian tonight and say, oh Lord, help me to remember right now. Or maybe you've already remembered. Maybe God's put his finger on something in your life and you've already remembered. Why don't you find your place and repent? Why don't you find your place tonight and say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me for doing all the things I'm doing it, but I'm not doing it out of an outer overflow of love anymore. I'm just doing it out of obligation. Oh Lord, help me. Lord, help me to love you fully. Help me to love you fervently. Lord, I don't want to leave that first love. Blow, Spirit of God, blow on those embers and cause them to blaze again in my heart for Jesus. As you slip from your place, find your place of prayer. Don't miss this opportunity God's given you. Would you come? Would you, would you do business with the Lord tonight? Would you say to him, Lord, I want to love you with that first love our heads are bowed our eyes are closed mercy we heard from heaven tonight folks are in the altar are there others that need to come anybody need to just tiptoe down here tonight and say Lord set me on fire Anybody else need to just step out and come here tonight and say, Lord, set me on fire tonight. I'm sort of tired of just the half in, half out, mediocre. I mean, I'm saved and everything, and I'm, but I'm just sort of getting by. 
Well, couldn't help, but, couldn't help but think about what John Wesley said tonight. Where he said, I just set myself on fire. And people come to watch me burn. You know, Calvary, if we're gonna, if we're gonna reach a lost and a dying world, we're gonna need more than just average. We're gonna need more than what most people have. Man, oh man, we need that first love, that first love, that fervent, that fervent love. Anybody else tonight before we before we go? You're in the altar. Just take your time tonight. Don't be in a rush. Man, I don't know about anybody else. I want to have that first love. And I don't want it to wane. I, I, man, man, oh man, he deserves our very best tonight. Love it, love it, love it. If you're watching the broadcast tonight, we're delighted to have you with us. There's a number on the bottom of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. And if we can pray with you, listen, we have some folks that are waiting by the phone right now. We'd love to take your call. And especially if you need to know Christ as personal Savior, call that number. And we would love to pray with you tonight. Believe God with you. I hope you'll call right now. Lord, I'm thankful for your blessings. Lord, thank you for what you've done and thank you for what you're continuing to do right now. And Lord, if this message wasn't for anybody else in this room, I knew who it was for. God, it was for me tonight. Lord, help me never to get satisfied. God, help me never to get complacent. God, help me never to be Help me never to get to that point where I'm just, I'm okay with just sort of getting by. No. Lord, I want to have that first love. God, help me until the trumpet sounds. Help me to have that fervent, that fervent love. It's the only kind of love you deserve. Lord, I pray that you're working in hearts tonight. I pray you'll confirm what's been done in the altars. And Lord, maybe there's still others that need to make a move. And so I pray you'll have your way. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And right before we sing tonight, 